Good day, my friends, and welcome to the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Diadora, the brand made legendary by Bjorn Borg, currently worn by world number 23, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, world number 33, Jan Leonard Struff, and world number 63, Martina Trevisan. See them at Diadora.com and use my code APPROVE at HollibirdSports.com for 15% off all Diadora Performance Tennis Shoes. He was born and raised in Lima, Peru, and in 1985 won the French Open Juniors, beating Hall of Famer Tomas Muster in the finals. Only 5'7", and armed with a world-class one-handed backhand and a silky smooth style, he won eight tour events, got to 18 in the world, and in 1994 reached the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open, defeating Cedric Pioli, and then the world number one, Pete Sampras, back-to-back. The victory over Sampras is considered one of the greatest upsets in our sports history, and we talked about it all. Jaime Izaga is today's guest. Are you in Lima? Is that where yes. you are? Yes, You're in I'm, I'm, I'm at home, yes. You're at home. That's yes. a very that's a very studious looking office I see behind. Well, this is uh, where I when I stay home work. This is where my 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 wife paint. And and where about your yeah. trophies? Your trophies aren't in there, huh? Oh, my, my trophies are down on my other studio below and at the oh, entrance of the house. So and, yeah. and 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 you're in Lima. That's a, is that a nice spot where you are? Uh, I live in Lima. Uh, I live, um, it's, a, it's a residence area where we have the uh, golf course very close by, you know, and uh, the tennis courts too, where where, uh, where I grew up. We're, right here. Uh, you're right. You're, so you're right at home. You're right where you grew up. Yeah, we're next door. Yes. For our listeners, uh, gentlemen, you hear former world number 18. He got to 18 in 1989. He had an illustrious junior career. We're going to talk about it all. It's a very timely episode because coming on the heels of the U.S. Open, uh, this gentleman was a giant killer, and we're going to talk about that too. He is diminutive in size, but not in stature. He did a lot of very special things in tennis. Uh, that's Jaime Izaga. How you doing, Craig? Did I get that all right? Was that all correct? Yeah, you you, you got it right. You got it right. Yeah, we got a lot of trouble uh, with my name, you know, on court, but you got it right. Now, as you know, we do a five-set format. The first set is the off-the-court report. Now, I have it on good notice that you have a son who's a very good golfer. Is that true? Yeah, he's a junior golfer. Yeah, he's a junior golfer. I heard he's world-class. Are you guys going to try to well, turn pro? he's going to college, of course. He's uh, he's finishing high school this year, and he's going to college next year. What's his name? His name is Jaime also. Jaime yes. Izaga Jr. Jaime Andre Isaga, yes. Where is he going to school? He's going to go to Ohio State. So Jay Berger has a, an elite golfer, and Peter Corda has two elite golfers. So is the aim to join that tennis community of Spawn that, that end up as pro golfers? Well, who knows? You know, that's it's too early to, to say. We know, we know that he's going to college, and he's going to have his career there. And it just depends on him of what he wants to do after. But... Uh, to play golf here, you have to be very good and train a lot. So uh, actually, I was with uh, Jay uh, last week uh, playing some golf Sunday afternoon on Miguel Nito also. So we had a great time. Really? Uh, in Beach. Yeah, yeah. We were talking a little bit about the golf and his son and all that. Yeah. Where'd you guys play? 
We we played at Ibis, the Ibis Club. At Ibis Club. Uh, Ibis, yeah, that's uh, that's in Palm Beach. Yeah. Very nice. And now, do you still hit the ball? Well, you know, uh, yes, from time to time. I don't play often. Um, very little, you know, very little. Uh, but you have very to... smooth style. I think you probably could still hit the ball quite quite nicely with your well, style. I, I would never forget about hitting the ball. That's for sure. You know, it's uh, that's that's the easy part. Hit the ball. You know, the tough part is to run and play and and uh, and and have a match and 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 do all all the old core around. That's the tough part. But to hit the ball is very easy, really, for for us that we play so for so many years. How's your golf? Uh well, it's all right. You know, I actually just played today a tournament and I, I didn't qualify, so it's not good. <laughs> yeah. And who's a better golfer, you or Jay Berger? Uh well, Jay plays quite good. Jay's played quite play. He plays quite good. Really yeah. interesting. Yeah. So I know that in Peru, there was a president who was was terrible he had a funny hat and that president got taken out about seven eight months ago and there was a woman now who's the president and she stabilized the country can you explain what's what's happened in peru peru was very unstable for a moment yes of course we We've been we've been unstable for the last four years. Before that, we were doing quite good. I mean, it started all good with uh, Fujimori on the you know years ago, and then he stabilized the uh, the economy, opened the markets again. Alberto we doing... Fujimori was a good president. Yeah, we were doing very good, and then uh, a couple more presidents came on, and they just follow the roots that was uh, that he started. So. Uh, Peru was growing a lot. He was growing about six, five, six, seven percent a year. So it was uh, quite unbelievable. Then we changed like four presidents in about uh, two years. It was a joke. Um, and last uh, 2021, uh, there was the election, which uh, this guy you mentioned with his funny hat, uh, nobody knew him. He was a communist coming into uh, into play and he got elected. He was a very rough election and it was a very rough time for peruvians what was this guy pedro name? castillo castillo and now he's out he's out yeah you had the communist castillo came in and then what well he came in as a communist party and he wanted to do a whole change of the um it's called the uh, uh, uh constituyente assembly okay he came in with that um, uh, and that means that there is no Congress and he runs the country for a certain amount of time with all his rules and a lot of corruption in his government, a lot of corruption, a lot of uh, people got in uh, on the ministers and all, all these uh, things. And I, they were starting to come up on the TV, on the press. It was uh, day after day after day after day. And, and we were a year and a half with this guy. And the country was in deep trouble and nobody was investing anymore. A lot of people ran out of the country. We didn't know what was going to happen. And, and all of a sudden, one day he said he was going to announce in, in, you know, on the press something. And he came up, he closed the Congress. Okay. And he closed the institutions and he ordered the military and the police to go and uh, put in jail some people that run these institutions, which are independent institutions. Neither the military or the police follow him up. 
So then uh, he was uh, running to a, a Mexican embassy and he got caught on the street and he's in jail. The second vice president, which is a woman, came up uh, and she's been president since uh, December 7th. And what's her name? Dina Boluarte. Boluarte. Okay. Boluarte. And she's, she's stable. I mean, the country's stable now. We're doing much better. How is the feeling about having a woman in office? Um, historically, the South American countries have been so chauvinistic. No, we're doing fine. We have no problem with that. Last question. What's your business? What do you do? I have two business. Uh, when I when I retired from tennis, I um, I took the uh, representations of a few uh, brands uh, that 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 uh, sell sports equipment. You know, we I have a company that that um, does lining in the stadiums, that does seatings, that does uh, uh, synthetic grass, running tracks, uh, pools. So it's it's a company that that can um, can uh, do all the installations of the venues, sports venues. You know, high schools, schools, universities, big stadiums. You know, we just finished a very important job of uh, changing the lights to uh, Alianza Lima, which is the first division club, the champion of the uh, of Peru. You know, uh, we've done an amazing job there uh, um, doing this this project. So so we do all that on one of the companies. And the second company that I have, that I also uh, uh, starting when I finish, it's uh, I have uh, four gyms, four fitness centers. So fitness uh, centers. people go and train there, and we run. I've been running that for twenty five years. Yeah. And what what's the name of the gym? Uh, Sport Life. Sport Life. Sport. Yeah, you got to change that to the Jaime Izaga uh, high performance uh, sport life. No, you don't put your name on it. <laughs> no, no, we're fine like that. Yeah, let's move into the second set. Uh, one of the most interesting things that happened at the French Open at Roland Garros this year was your man Varias, Juan Pablo Varias, made a run to the round of 16. He's 60 in the world. He's won five. I think he won five challengers. He made some moves. Was that an exciting story? Um, we have very very few tennis courts, but but a lot of people uh, follow tennis, you know. And uh, um, not only the people have that have access to to tennis, but also people that don't. I mean, they 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 really follow tennis. And I, when I'm in the streets, uh, there's a lot of people talking to me about tennis, and you know, obviously that they don't play. But uh, they follow it. So, um, yeah, it was a very exciting time. I think Juan Pablo came up very well. He's been trying to get into the top 100 quite some time. He break it out this, uh, this year. So uh, so we were excited. We were very excited about what he's been doing. You know, hopefully he can keep up. It's tough. Once you get in and move in, it's tough to uh, stay there. But uh, let's 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 hope he, he can do that. I mean, this year, Sarundalo... Echeverry and Jerry, all you know, all South Americans got into the round of six. Uh, got into the quarters actually at the French. Do you did you keep your eye on that with any significance? I know Jerry came up uh, very strong at the end of last year, and this year very very strong. He's playing very well. He's a big guy, serves very well, and plays very aggressive. And the Argentinians, you know, they're always tough. 
you know the, the Argentinians are are very tough they they love the uh, the clay courts and they're doing well also in the hard courts so uh they're they're tough so so they're doing very well and you never did any broadcasting you don't you don't you don't sit in the chair huh you don't do any broadcasting uh I've done a couple times uh Wimbledon when they uh when they show it here on the TV uh, years ago you know uh, it wasn't in the cable and it was sold to uh to some channel Peruvian channel and they hire us to go there and do the broadcasting so but it wasn't it wasn't from an international chain it was something locally but that didn't allure you you're not like Jose Luis clerk you don't do that every week no well he's in every tournament I mean he's tough yeah he, he watches every match and he's in tough and he's yeah, I mean, they do a good job, and he loves it. I looks, you know, I, I've seen a couple friends that are doing it. Leo Lavalle is doing it. Uh, well, Javier Javier Frana was was a good friend of mine. He did it for many years in ESPN. So, uh, but I, no, I haven't had a chance to do any international really. Now you said you play golf with Jay. Are you friendly? What what players are you still friendly with? Do you keep your ties to anybody in pro tennis? Well, you know, not on a regular basis, you know, but, uh, you know, the guys like Jay, you know, we, Jay, he was somebody that we practice a lot, you know, when uh, on tour. Um, I mean, he's, he's not a day-to-day uh, friend, but, you know, when you talk to these guys, it's like, like not too much times happen, you know, and we, 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 like, we keep, we keep uh, talking the same and we've been, you know, we, we're close not being close, you know, so that's, that's how it is with some of them. I mean, not, not a lot because it's tough to have, it's difficult to have a lot of friends on the tour. That's, that's something real also, but you know, Javier Frana was a friend, Andres Gomez, you know, he's like, uh, like my father on the tennis, you know, he was a very, very uh, um, nice guy and uh, helped a lot uh, to the South Americans when he, when, when we came up to, to the tour you know, I talk to him uh, in, in, in a regular basics, you know, and uh, yeah, in, I mean, not, not a lot of them, but some of them. Let's move into the third set. This is the portion of our show where we talk about your career. Now, where does your tennis begin? Does it begin in Lima, right where you said? Yeah, yeah, I began in Lima. Yes, yes. I began in Lima. I was about four or five years old. Uh, that's what I heard, you know, uh, they, they told me that, uh, they took me to the tennis court and I was almost hitting balls at four or five years old. Your parents, your parents. Yeah. My, well, I, have a, I had a grandfather that, that played a lot of tennis. I mean, he liked to play every Saturday and Sunday. He went to the, he went to the club and play. So they took me to this club and there was a, t- a teacher there that, that showed me that, I mean, that teach me to play tennis. And that's how I started here in Lima. It is it's called the Lone Tennis Club. And um, uh, yeah, it started here and I moved to the States when I was 15 years old, but I, it started in Peru. But you must have gotten good. You know, I was, uh, I was a South American champion when I was 14 years old. I was a South American champion at 16 also. You were traveling in and around yeah, South well, Yeah, on those times, you know, it's diff- different than now because on those times we only had three tournaments a year. We had the Banana Bowl in Brazil. We had the South American tournament in July. And then we had the Orange Bowl, you know, in Miami. After a couple of years, when I was like 15 or 14 or 15, then COSAD came in and they organized 
uh, tournaments in, uh, it was like a, like a tour, South American tour for eight countries during the summertime. Um, so we were traveling a, a little bit on the 14, 15. And uh, then on the 15 years old, when I was 15 years old, I moved to Tampa. Um, I, I met I met Colon Nunez and Andres Gomez. Colon was uh, Andres' coach. For our listeners, Colon Nunez is one of the most famous South American coaches. And I heard now Nicholas Pereira told me you guys were roommates in 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 Colon's house at Bardmore. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, those were the wonderful days. You know, there were no better days than those. Really, Bardmore was a special place now bardmore um, is in like is in tampa it's in st petersburg sorry saint yeah pete. tampa st pete yeah 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 and uh you know and you know i i met andres and i met cologne basically in in the french this is a very nice story you know uh i was 15 years old or i think yeah I'm, 15 years old, I played the French in the juniors. I was with my mom and my grandfather, which followed me around all the time. It was nice. And we were, I lost, and uh, we were, it was a rainy day, you know, in Paris, you know, those rainy days. And the juniors, we didn't have, on those times, I mean, the venues were different. And we didn't have too much place, too many places to be. So we were waiting to rain to stop uh, under a tree uh, near court one, where was the, uh, the 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 the, uh, the changing rooms for the juniors and the coaches. All of a sudden, Colón Núñez came running, and he saw us under a tree and said, "Well, guys, what are you doing here?" And uh, and uh, and my mom said, "Well, we're going back to Peru. Jaime lost. He's going to college. You know, tennis is almost finished for him on the tour. I mean, I wanted to be a professional tennis player, but obviously, my mom <laughs> wanted to, me to go to university. That's." That's a, that's a story that everybody knows. You know, every player has that. So Colón invite us, invite me to go to Barmore, to Harry Homan's Tennis Academy. And, you know, it was tough for, obviously, my family for me to travel by myself and go to this academy. So Colón offered me to go and live with him and his wife and his sons and his kids. So it was amazing, really, because I moved from my family to a second family from, you know, and and uh, and um, that's really where it started my career. You know, uh, that's where I really started and changed. Bardmore is still there. It's a golf and tennis resort. But at that time, Harry Hopman, the, the famous legendary Australian Davis Cup captain and coach had his high performance facility there. Is that right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. At that time, I don't know how it is right now because I haven't been there. But at that time, uh, there were forty-two courts, forty-two tennis courts, wow. and three and three golf courts, three golf courses, and 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 just houses around. Uh, it was a Publix a supermarket it was a you know a laundry a pizza place it was wonderful really and uh, you said it was the best time that was the it best. was the, it was the best time because i mean it was just tennis it's just tennis tennis and tennis and more tennis and just imagine for me being there and practice with these guys you know ramesh krishna's li lived there uh practice with him a lot uh paul 
Michael McNamee was there sometimes. Peter McNamara was sometimes. Uh, Andres lives there, you know, uh, so we practice a lot together. Uh, Vitas Gerulitis came a couple times. Pat Cash, when he came back from his elbow uh, surgery or knee surgery, I don't know what, he was working there. So for me to be around these guys, he was, you know, it was a fantasy. It was Disney World. And you got really good. Within It sounds like within a year or two, you were the number one junior in the world. Well, yeah, you know, when I was 17, um, being still in, 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 in Barmore with Harry Hartman and Cologne was my coach, uh, I won the French, yeah. You won the French juniors. Yeah. But you beat Tomas Muster in the final. Yeah, yeah. I played Tomas in the final. I lost the first set, and then I think they won the second two or the la the next two. It was 3-6, uh, 6-3, three, 6-3, six, six, three, I think it was. Oh, it was 6-3, six, 6-love. Three, six, love. It was 6-3, uh, yeah. six, 6-love. Six, you, you bageled him in the last set. Oh, well. Was he, was he out of gas or what? No, <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, we play in court two. It was, you know, that's, uh, you know, we were expecting to play in, a, in, in maybe court one, but we play in court two. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was nice. And did you know you were going to turn pro at that moment? Was that already a, was that already an afterthought that you were just kind of finishing up your your juniors to to turn pro? Well, I, I think you know, um, I always wanted to be a pro. Uh, you know, that was always in my mind. Then after the French, you know, yeah. uh, I, you know, I played, I played Wimbledon, the juniors got to the semis, won the doubles uh, with Agustin Moreno, which is uh, like my brother, you know, we played doubles together. We beat uh, Flack and Seguso when we were pro. That was amazing too. Wow. And and then, you know, I, I, I became pro. I, I, you know, I decided to, to turn pro. Um, and, and, and that year, I played the uh, the quali the U.S. Open qualifier, you know, and also I was playing the juniors because I wanted to finish number one in the world on the rankings on the juniors. Couldn't play the juniors on the U.S. Open, or actually didn't know I was playing on the day that they programmed me because I was playing Ivan Lendl at night, and when I arrived that date to the U.S. Open, I saw my opening on the juniors on the court. It was eleven thirty arriving from the bus station there on the uh, uh on the back side of that of the, at that time and uh back I watched, side of uh, the back side uh, of flushing meadows the back yeah, side of the of, yeah. the of the facility jesus yeah huh. i watched alexander Volkov in the court and uh and my and they were they scheduled me on the juniors for 11 o'clock and i was playing ivan lindell at 7 30 at night so so couldn't play yeah so you, you defaulted you deefed yeah, yeah, yeah. And you took a set from Lendl. Yeah, it was an unbelievable night. I took the, I won the first set with Lendl. Yeah, I, I played the, the three matches on the qualifier. I won. I beat Dan Cassidy in five sets. I beat, uh, and I, I'm not going to forget this, you know, was we, we got to 6-0 on the fifth set. Um, and remember, um, the U.S. Open at that time, we had the little benches, small bench at uh, the small um, um, fences where people were standing there next to the court, <laughs> and 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 we got to six all, and Harry Hopman was watching the match, and he came up to me and said, "You know, you gotta be aggressive on the tiebreaker." So I never gonna forget that from uh, from Harry Hopman. You know, he was an amazing, an amazing person. You know, we we really 
love him so much, everybody that went to the academy. And I I I beat Dan Cassidy, uh five set. I played Jacob Lasek second round, beat him in five sets too. Wow. And then I beat David David Pate uh three sets, and then I I I played Ivan Lendl uh at night. So right from the beginning, you were kind of like uh you 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 had good vibe good vibrations at the US Open. Well, yeah, New York is always very special, you know. It's uh just even though when we were starting to go down on the plane and 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 arrive to the, you know in the airport, it was a special feeling, really. It's amazing, you know. Just the run from the flashing meadows to the city at night after the matches. That is something very, very special. Get ready for dinner in New York after have a nice day uh working out in, in flashing meadows or playing a good match. You know, it's an amazing tournament, really. Very, very nice. Hearing you talk about this is kind of giving me the chills a little bit because um, I understand it and it's coming right up. I want to back up for one second. Colon Nunez, who is he to you? What what made him a special oh, yeah. coach? First, more than a coach, because, I mean, that is, I think, the second part or the second important part. You know, the most important part is that for me, when I arrived to his house, I remember, you know, I left Peru uh, to fly to Barmore or to Tampa. I was 15 years old, you know, got on a plane um, and they gave me instructions. You say, OK, you're going to arrive in Miami. Then you're going to take uh, another plane to Tampa. You're going to go down to baggage claim. You're going to get to the shuttle. There is a blue shuttle. There are airport shuttle. You're gonna buy your ticket and you're gonna go, you're gonna go to our house. And that's how it happened. I walk in the door and I knock the door, and Marielena, which was Colon's wife, opened the door and said, Welcome, you know. And it was amazing, really. It was an, a very special place, a very special home, a very special family. Eric, which now works in the USDA, uh, was maybe two years old, and Maria Paula. Uh, the daughter um, of of Colón and Marilena were three years old. They were like, you know, my little brothers. We played together. So that made it special. The feel to feel very nice, feel very good. A seat on a table for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner. You know, it, it felt very nice. And then obviously came the second part where Colón, uh, I learned a lot from what he had to, you know, teach me on how to become a, a tennis player, you know, which... Explain that, how to become a tennis yes, player. Yes, uh, how to become a professional tennis player. You know, there's many things other than just go on the court and play. You know, how you focus, how you um, approach your practice, how you approach your rest, how, how you eat, um, that you need to have, how to prepare your rackets when you go into the match. For me to learn that at the age of 16 years old, I am sure it had a lot to do with me winning the French and how they prepare for tournaments like the French. You know, I remember uh, the week before the French, we went to Harry Hoffman's Academy in Italy and we were there practicing for seven days. It was Casio Mota, Diego Perez and Andres Gomez. I think I was Hansky the manager too, also practicing. So I was getting all that from these guys and obviously Colón was there too. So, you know, it had both parts you know and only not only had the tennis but also had the other part of the balance of how to be 
a nice guy and being a nice family. So it was a very, very important. When did you crack the top 100? Uh, it was 1985, right, right after the US Open. I entered the qualifying of the US Open being 220, I think. And after the US Open, I was, I think, uh, 80 or something like that. Wow. And then in, in November, I won a, uh, a tournament in Itaparica in Brazil. Colón was there. Um, the club met in Itaparica. Yes, I won that tournament. I beat Carlos Kiermaier in the finals. So that's when I cracked the top 50 right after that tournament. Would it be fair to say your best surface was hard court? Well, you know, it had to do a lot with uh, moving to, to Barmore, you know. You know, we practice a lot on the hard courts. And uh, so I got used to playing on the hard courts a lot. Were you a better clay court no, player or you a better no. hard court player? Well, uh, I think I was a, a better hard court player on the, my early years. And then in year 93, 94, I had a very good run on the clay courts. But it took me a lot. I mean, I, you know, being a small guy and play a lot in the clay, you have to be very, very strong and... So I didn't like too much the high bounces and, you know, and uh, it was tough for me playing the clay. I like the green clay though. You know, I like the green clay. I play a lot on the green clay in the United States. I, I won the, uh, the USDA, the US uh, clay courts, I think twice, twice, two times or three times. I don't remember. I like that clay because it's faster. Your style, you mentioned Ramesh Krishnan that you practice with Ramesh. I mean, he's pretty much the smoothest player there ever was. For our listeners, do a search for Jaime Izaga. Press the YouTube on it. You got to see him. You have a gorgeous one-handed backhand. Very smooth strokes. Where did it come from? How did you How did you form your style? It's just uh, natural, really. I mean, you know, the backhand and the slice. I like to uh, do a lot of slice and uh, play the drop shot, came into the net. Uh, I learned to play... Uh, right in the right in the line you know um so so and i learned to play it right in the line in in harry Hummans in barmore play, practicing on, on the hard courts you'd like to play tight to the baseline yeah take the ball early yeah coming to the net you know when you have a chance you know play inside the court that's i think that's that's important for a tennis player to try to do and so you don't run too much and you control more of the point if you can play you know, close to the baseline. You minimize your running by playing tight to the line. You are, yeah, you do. That's something that was taught to you? Well, you know, I think it's always very important to try to play next to as close as you can to the baseline. You know, it's, I mean, if if you are a clay court player that you don't come into the net, I mean, as far as you move back, the more you're going to run, you know, and the more uh, stamina is going to take it from you, for sure. I mean, it's the more you play in the back. Uh, so, you know, I like players who play right in the baseline. I think it's a it's it's the way to play tennis. You know, Djokovic does it. Federer did it. You know, uh, Nadal didn't do it. You know, but he he had that power to be able to stay. You know, two three meters from the back and skid all these very very heavy balls. But uh, Murray plays in the inside the court, you know. Um, so I, I like, like that style of play. 
you got into the top 20 in 1989. Who were you in that? You got to 18. Who were you in 1989? What was so good about you in 1989? Well, I have watched, I watched some of, uh, some of the videos that I, like you mentioned on YouTube, you know, and I've seen how irresponsible I was playing on the court, you know, and I think that's what got me to be a uh, top 20, you know, just, just play as how I felt, you know, and, uh, what do you mean irresponsible? Was, was, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, when I see what I did, I said, "How can I do that?" You know, but it was working. You know, it's, I was I was coming to the net a lot. I was chipping in charge. I was serving and volleying, being a small kid. You know, and in kind those kind of things. And um, but I think that that that's what got me into the top twenty. You know, it's um, I had a very very good year. Very good year being organic in your style is that is how you felt is that why you think you just felt like everything was clicking you were playing loose well you know it's it's uh that's what i see now i mean i i, I, I sometimes from some nights i stay you know and, and watching what happened many years ago and maybe put you know uh uh or watch a, a, a video from me playing chang in forest hills you know uh on the semifinals you know and what i was doing with the ball you know and then i say well what i didn't do it uh, what i didn't keep doing that you know so uh so that's why i call it irresponsible for me it's something that when i start being i was more mature i i, I wasn't able to do it or i was more cautious of doing or taking those kind of risks you know so that's what i mean that's what i mean by that and why and how come you never did better? Was it because of your size? Was being five seven, five eight uh challenging? Well, I think uh obviously being taller, it will help your serve for sure. I mean, there's there's no doubt about that. You know, um I was on my visit with Jay the other last week. He was he was training Opelka which he's the coach of Opelka, this big, tall guy from yeah, the States. And, and I was saying, you know, when I was watching this guy, I said, how does he, I mean, how does he look the net? I mean, like a ping pong net. I mean, it's, it must be so easy to serve. On the other hand, there are some restrictions also for a big guy of how to move on the court. But um, I think maybe I... I I messed up a couple of years, you know, uh, messed a couple of years from when I was 18 to maybe 20 or something like that. You know, maybe a couple of years, I was a little bit uh, not having things that clear, maybe, you know, the changes, but I think I did, I did as much as I could. I was, I worked hard, very, very hard. You know, I love to train. I love to spend hours on the court. I love to train on the gym. Um, I consider myself as a responsible guy with my tennis, but you know, a better book, a, a better forehand would have helped. You know, my forehand was, was not the best. You know, my backhand was very nice. You know, I didn't give enough time to my serve. I was worried a lot of practicing my backgrounds, my, 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 my backhand, my forehand, my movement, my coming into the net. I was working a lot of that because that's how that was my bread and butter. But I didn't take as much, you know, time on my serve, which was something that I wasn't strong. So that's something that I 
try to talk to the guys now when I meet these guys from Peru and and um you know I said well you guys have to practice serve a lot I mean it is like happening and I've seen it here in Peru in the Gulf the guys go to the range and they don't go to the putter green you know it's the same and that's what I think it wasn't you know what I didn't take as much time as I should have to uh, 1994 U.S. Open. Where'd you stay? What hotel were you at? Well, I had a special play. I mean, I always love to stay at the Park in Meridian. That's still the player hotel. For the women's. It was always for the women's. Well, the men's stay once there, and I'd never moved from the Park in Meridian. I think it was great. Uh, very good location. Um nice place to stay i love to stay there so so for me that was a place to stay for the u.s open um always eat in alfredo's we always went to alfredo's with the whole family um so you know it's it's nice yeah it was it was a nice place to stay and by 1994 you know you did something special there what was that tournament like for you when you saw the draw do you remember well, 1994 was a, a very good year. We, uh, I had uh, Patricio Rodriguez was my coach. Pato you know, Rodriguez, you know, he just passed away too. Yes. Uh, he was my coach from 1993. Uh, and uh, we were having a very nice nice year. Uh, spent the whole clay court season in Europe on the red clay. That was Pato's uh, advice, and it really helped. Why? You know, uh, and well, because that was kind of a barrier that I had in my, with myself. I didn't want to go and play uh, the red clay, the whole red clay season. I always went just to play the French and maybe one tournament before. And I really didn't like it. I always played here in the States, the clay course season, and then go to uh, Rome and, 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 and Paris. So Pato came and said, no, listen, we have to do the whole deal. So we went to Nice. You know, uh, you know, Nice and Monte Carlo, very rainy on those days, very heavy balls, couldn't play with these guys with, you know, high, heavy topspin. I hate it. So I went, played my first round in Nice and I lost for sure, maybe one and two, I think, or something like that. So I got, I got the Russians to practice. I said, okay, Pato, we're going to get the Russians. So we got Chesnokov and we got Cherkasov to practice. And we practiced a whole week with them. I was better ready for Monte Carlo. You know, uh, played, uh, beat Arnold Bersh in the first round, got to a third round or fourth round, losing to Ivanisevic. Uh, beating Jay Berger, which was a tough, tough player in clay. And that old clay season helped me to be strong mentally, be stronger physically, and um, and obviously entering to, to the hardcore season where I like, which I really like. It was it was important, and uh, I don't remember who I played in the first round, um, but I do remember playing Piolin in third round, Cedric Piolin, uh, which was a finalist of the year before, and uh, obviously I I lost the first two sets, I won the the next three sets, and then I played uh, Pete on the four on the fourth round. That's big. That's the Labor Day weekend big time match. Yeah, yeah. Well, you you cannot ask for anything more than that, really. 
You know, that is something you look for and wait for all of your career to be able to play, you know, the number one player, you know, in, in feature match in, uh, in New York, you know, at the US Open, you know, prime time, like you say, playing well, you know, know knowing that you can play, you know, because sometimes, I mean, you know, it's tough to be able to, to play these guys and not be able to play with them or stay with them uh, uh, during the match. That is tough. So that, you know, it is special. You know, you really look for that. In, uh, so after, after finishing with Piolin and, and, and getting ready for that match, it was just, like, like I say, you know, being heaven to be able to, to be there and play that match. It was very nice. You guys played a long, hard five-setter. Um, you were down two sets to one, and you won the last two sets, seven, six, seven, five. You served for the match at five-four. You gave it back. Then it was five-all, and then you broke Pete. Then you held, but Pete looked terrible. Pete looked sick, like he was... He was bent, you know, he was doing that where he would bend over to go serve and he would put his hands on his knees. Did you know he was out of gas? Yeah, yeah, I, I knew he was out of gas. I mean, you know, my, my um, strategy that we had was the longer the point lasted, the better for me. So, you know, if you, if you see part of the match, you know, we did a lot of running. And he did a lot of running, and that was that was something that I really need to uh, uh, to try to do. He needed to move, you know. So, so I knew he was getting out of gas, you know. And uh, but I was five two up. I was five two up in the fifth, and he was tired, and he got back to five walls. So, you know, it's tough to play a guy that is doing all that. You know, it's not easy. But, you know, my one of the things that I really uh, wanted to do during the match was to keep the point last as much as I can. And that's what it really happened. You know, it's, 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 it was hot and it was tough. And obviously at the end, he was he was showing that he was vulnerable and he was tired. Um, what did you what did you say at the net when you guys shook hands? It looked like a very quick handshake. Yeah, no, you know, Pete wasn't much. Uh, I, I mean, I play him a couple times. I play him like five or six times. Um, I play him once in New York, like three years ago. The the year that he was number one, or he became number one, I think it was, or the no, the year before he won the U.S. Open for the first time. We played in first round, and I lost the first two sets, and I won in five sets. I I don't remember what year was that. Maybe '88 or. Something I don't remember what what year it was, but uh, you know, and then we played at the, the Flushing Meadows too. At a, at a, sorry, at the uh, Forest Hills, I played him too on clay court when he was young. Uh, we played one year at the Grand Slam Cup, you know, in uh, indoors. So you know, we weren't friends. You know, we just shook hands and say, "Well, okay, bad luck, bad luck, good luck, or whatever." I don't remember that much what we said, but. Uh, but you were wearing um, and, it was and, a quick shake hands, yeah. And you were wearing Lotto and you were playing with the Yonex. Now, did they have to pay yes. you a bonus? Do they pay you a bonus when you beat Pete or what? Do you make a little extra? They give you a little extra cash for that win? Uh, 
no, <laughs> it wouldn't be good. Yeah, no. You know, actually, I was running. The, those rackets weren't made anymore. And I ran out of rackets. I didn't have any rackets. I had only five rackets on that match or six rackets. Was that the R7 you were playing with? That was the R22. So you were playing with the R22? Yes. And Andres, Andres Gomez gave me the fourth first R22s for me. to, to That was in Barmo when I arrived there. And I never changed that racket again. And I was I ran out of those racket, you know, really, really ran out of it. I couldn't find them anywhere. I made a search in all the stores in the States, all the stores in Europe, and I didn't find them. And uh, and and Yonex stopped the production, and those were those were my last five brackets that I had. I remember that. So I played with the R22 and I played with the Lotto also. Um yeah, I remember that. Remember that. Is that the best moment of your career, uh, in a sense? It was the best, the best moment of my career for sure. You know, like you said, it's 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 such an important uh, tournament, and doing it there, um, yeah, it, it, you know, it, it 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 for sure was, and it's something that everybody does remember here in Peru. A lot of people remember that that day and that match. So not only for me, it was so important, but also for a lot of people here in Peru, which really makes me feel so so good you know to be able to uh to share that moment uh and to share that special moment with a lot of people here in in lima when uh when i see them a lot of people remember it's been so many years and still you know uh they remember that moment so so it's um it, it obviously it's it was the peak of my career on that uh that 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 moment that tournament so nice and you know you you broke him to win the match. You broke him in the fifth set. You broke him with a backhand pass, cross court, beautiful topspin backhand pass. That's the signature, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, and this is this is this is something that uh, you know because on that part of the match or the last part of the match, you know, I was five two. I served for the match. You know, um, and and I lost that that moment or that momentum, and then five all and five and six five, and and it was so tight. Uh, and when that moment came, I said to myself, "This is the point," you know. And I knew he was gonna go there. There was no way, really. I knew he was gonna go there, so I I I, I took one step forward and just just hit the ball and said, "Okay, just go for it." And it went perfect, really cross court. It was so nice, yeah. So uh, and it, it happened that way, really. You know, in my mind, I said, "Okay, get ready. It's coming there," you know. And um, so it was, it was perfect. And I remember, I remember Vidas, you know, Vidas, which was such a nice guy, very good friend of Pete. He was there, making it so special, being you know him being there, you know, so many things that goes around that tournament. And those moments that you know you can't forget, really, you know. So it's uh, it's a nice, nice, nice day to remember. Let's move into the fourth set. This is the ten ball scramble. I say it, and you say what comes in your mind. You just said it, but we're gonna say it again. Your favorite racket? Oh, Yonix R22 for sure. How'd you string it? Oh, oh my God! Uh, I think. It- was 68 pounds probably i think it was 
and with natural gut at 68 pounds? Yes. Natural gut. You play with that. Couldn't tight. play with something else. You, you couldn't play with anything else. It was very tight. It got it got tighter every day. Got tighter. I don't know why, but it got tighter every day. Uh, size of your grip. Oh, I, I think it was uh, four and a quarter. I think it was four and a quarter. Your most difficult moment on tour. I heard I had two moments. Well, one was when I was just getting to the tour. I I, I had a shoulder injury. Um, obviously, my body wasn't prepared to all that what it was happening. So the shoulder really got hurt. I was lucky to really get it back uh, real, real, real fast. And then I had a, I had a knee injury uh, and that was year 91. I was three months out, out or two and a half months out going to rehab from eight in the morning to uh, six in the afternoon. It was tough. Your favorite tournament. I think you've said it. <laughs> Obviously New York. U.S. Open. By far. Yeah, by far. You should go back every year. Why don't you go back? How do you not take that uh, Final Eight Club badge and just go take a victory lap? Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I think I, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, you're right. You guys should fly up there and go take a victory lap, man. They treat you like a king with that, with that yeah. Final Eight Club. Did you save your credentials? Do you save your badges? No, no, don't have them anymore. A big entourage or a lean and mean? A more, a more lean team, yeah. That's what I would like to. Did you like being a pro player on tour? Uh, I, 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 yes, I, I did like it. Obviously, and, and, and I think it's a very special life we live. I think that when we're all with all the stress and uh, the day-to-day, we did, we don't enjoy it as much you know it is it's not it's it's not a fun you know you don't you don't have fun every day it's not like that it's, it's a really tough job um being out, out of home we from peru we we live in peru is very tough because we have to spend a lot of time out of how, out of home that is tough it's not the same as living in the states where you can take a flight and you're one hour home and that's it or in Europe, when you play in Europe, you're very close. For us, as South American, is very tough. So even though I liked it, it, it is a very tough, and it was very tough of, uh, also to, to be a tennis pro, you know? A lot of uh, um, being a, lo a lot of time alone, you know, living alone. A lot of time, uh, on those times, there were no big entourage, you know? There were no budgets that really can can support that what we see right now um so so it was tough i liked it but it was very tough let's move into the fifth and final set this is the king of the court you could be the king of tennis and make a change in the sport with just one swing of the racket what would it be well you know obviously uh, if i see it from my part the first serve kills tennis you know i think it's just i mean it's so fast so strong it's you know it, it becomes such an important tool and and i would like to see that being more 
um, uh, more equal, let's say, you know, I would like that, you know, uh, it, it's tough. I mean, sometimes you don't get to, to really be able to return a serve. But how would you equalize it? Give them one serve, maybe? One serve, yes. Why two serves? I mean, you don't have two forehands. You don't have, you don't play two backhands. Wow. Jaime Zaga says one serve. Yeah. When they play volleyball, they play one serve. That's all. That's it. Yeah. One serve. Yes. Wow. One serve. Hey, man, listen, I, I buried the lead, but, you know, uh, for many, many years when I was a kid, you know, you're just a few years older than me, but I've been to many, many weekends of the U.S. Open and we saw a lot of your matches. You always seem to be somebody at the U.S. Open that was sort of like right there, the back end of the weekend. You make that first weekend and you were an exciting player for us. And uh, we were at those matches. So it's been a pleasure to talk to you today. No, thank you very much, Greg. You know, we've been, uh, I've been very tough to uh, to catch for this uh, interview and I really um enjoy it and um, yeah new york was such a such an important uh part of my career and uh, i'm glad that you enjoyed those matches and uh and i enjoyed them too so uh yeah and very nice to to be at your show you know um you know i follow you on the twitter all the time also so <laughs> you know uh, very nice very nice to spend some time with you we gotta see you in new york man you gotta come on up take a victory lap you gotta do that i do have I do have, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe I I go for a weekend. Yeah, pop your head up there. There's, I mean, you you you're you're one of the you got to beat Pete Sampras at the U.S. Open. You got to be there. You've got to be there. Yeah, you're right. Gotta be there, my man. Thank you very much. Muchos gracias por todos. Jaime Izaga, you are released. Okay. Take care and thank you very much for this time. Huge thank you to Jaime Izaga. Thank you to Theodora. Use my code APPROVED in all caps at hollibirdsports.com for 15% off all Theodora performance tennis shoes. Megan Fernandez edited the show. Our music is by Brian Senti. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro and you.